Hello and welcome to the podcast. My name is Father Peter. And my name is Scott Powell and this is the Word on the Hill. And we are so excited that you've joined us today. Absolutely. Is that too much? Absolutely. Am I put, putting it on too thick? <laughs> I really am. <laughs> but that felt like too much. It did. It felt like a little too much. But I love you guys. Yeah. Well, it's just... It's hard to love an abstraction is the, really the truth of it. But you guys aren't an abstraction. We know a lot of you. We know a lot of you. But we're not uh, looking at you right now. Do you have any shout outs, Father Peter? I do. It was awesome. Uh, Megan and I went out to go meet some folks uh, out in Michigan. In Michigan. And so I want to give a shout out to, of course, Linda and uh, and ah, your husband, Linda. who we did not Did get... you say Li- Linda and your husband? <laughs> I'm pretty sure you just <laughs> no, did. No, I didn't. Which is phenomenal. <laughs> no, sorry. Continue. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't and, let that go. No, you that can't. And, and so it was so good to meet you, Linda. And then, of course, with John. And so, uh, John, a shout out to you. It was uh, wonderful to be able to ha- uh, go to a Coney Island, uh, which or Coney Coney Dog or Coney every Coney. Isn't that in New York? Ev- no, I know Coney Island's in New York, but All like right. it's a Coney everything. Like, really? Is yeah, this like, like a Detroit thing? Yeah, it is, and really? so it was awesome. And then, All of right. course, of course, um, John and Karen also shout out to you guys. Uh, I, but I don't think you guys listen to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I hope you do. So be it. I'm trying to think. Maybe, of something maybe sarcastic they tuned in. So, so you, you never know. You never. Yeah. We got to be on our game just yeah. in case. You never so know who's going to turn in. All of you guys tune in. Yeah. Rather. So, oh uh, my gosh, Father Peter, what, what day is it? It's the twenty thirtieth. The 30th Sunday and 20th, 30th Sunday in Ordinary Time. So our first reading ah, but it is. is from the Syriac. <laughs> this is from the Sriracha, the book of okay, Sriracha. Okay, here we go. Dude, come on. I always see Sriracha whenever I see it. We've been doing this podcast for close to seven years, and you've never alluded to that before. Because <laughs> usually you're an open book with your uh, uh, With my, uh, my strange associations. Your associations, that's the right word. Yep, so, so this is the book of Sriracha, okay. uh, chapter 35. Verses 12 to 14, skipping 15 because it's not worth yeah, it. Yeah, nobody needs 15. And then we get 16 to 18. Man, this reading's hot. <laughs> That's all I can do. You are saucy, man. Oh, oh see? Oh, that would have been better. <laughs> all right, our responsorial psalm is Psalm 34, verses 2 to 3, seven through eight, 17 through 18, rather, and then 19 and 23, and the response is coming from 7a. The law. The The Lord hears the cry of the poor. (laughs) Dude, sometimes, sometimes puberty is hard. Yeah, when you start to get older, things change, especially your voice. (laughs) So, our segundo lectura, our second Second reading, is from Segunda Timothy. Oh my gosh. (laughs) <laughs> it's all it's all romantic languages. Yeah, I so that they all mean the they're same not thing. all romantic languages, but this one is. <laughs> <laughs> some of them are. There are some that are Germanic, or or Slavic, or, or Anglo. Slavic. Yep. Okay. Or any number of others, uh, or any other kind of choice. So it's Second Timothy verse uh, chapter, chapter and verse, chapter four verses six through eight, skipping eight verses to sixteen through eighteen. That's a big jump again. Yeah. Did you read the intervening? I list? always read everything. No, you don't. Always. <laughs> Our gospel is coming from Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Okay, ah, so... Um, finally. So it was snowy. It's snowy outside today. <laughs> is that what we're talking about? Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. yes. Okay, this first reading from Sirach. Yeah, Sirach. Let's talk about Sirach. Yep. Uh, so, like, it's. I feel like it's going to frame our experience of the readings for the day. Why are you so distractible today, Father Sean? I mean, 
Father Sean. <laughs> Scott Powell, who yes, are I, you? Why are you who? so distractible? <laughs> it's because I'm struggling with the first reading. I'll, I'll be I'll be frank with you. The reason I'm kind of beating around the bush is I don't I don't know how to tie the first. I, I kind of get the other readings together, but I'm struggling with how the first one fits in because what I love, my great love, is the context of something, and I'm worried about how the co- I'm not worried about it, but I'm struggling with how the context of Sirach actually paints the picture. So oftentimes, like you said, the first reading paints the picture that makes the rest of it sensible and makes sense. And the context for Sirach, so I mean, we've talked about Sirach uh, many times on the podcast before. It's um, um, Ben Sirach, right? It's this idea that it's, it's being written, it's being crafted, or, or at least these wisdom sayings are being brought together in this book um, in a time post-exile. So while they're in this world that is not any longer centered in Jerusalem and Torah and liturgical worship, but now it's centered in the Greek thinking world, which is fascinated and intrigued by the concept of wisdom. And so one of the things that Sirach is trying to do in a culture that has been dispersed from the unified center of liturgy and Torah and worship of the one true God and all this stuff, we've lost that. We've sort of been scattered to the four winds in the exile, right? Dispersed. And now we're in this, I don't necessarily, I don't know if I mean it in the, po- This you can mean this in a positive or negative sense. The world, I think, is overly pluralistic in the sense that the Israelites don't kind of know which way is up. There's so many voices. There's so much competition. There is the bourgeois of the Greek thinking world that's saying, no, this is what wisdom is. This is what Sophia is. This is where we seek after knowledge and understanding and wisdom. And Sirach is saying, no, wait a second. Before you listen to all the different competing voices in the world, we have to go back and remember where we've come from. Mm. We have to remember what we used to know, which is wisdom cannot be understood apart from the one true God and apart from the word that he gave us. And that can be deduced through things like creation and the things that are. But in a world that is utterly confused because there's so many competing voices, Sirach is saying, don't forget what is true. Don't forget where you've come from. Don't forget your roots and your source. You were talking to me earlier, and maybe this is what's painting my the way I'm talking about this. You were talking, We were talking about just the state of the church and the world and all the different competing voices now confusing and, and in turmoil everything is. And you actually played for me before the podcast as we were setting up this speech from St. John Paul II that he gave actually in Denver on World Youth Day, which was kind of a formative moment for both of us, because there's these things that we sometimes forget about that root us back in a time where things made sense. And there's something so powerful about memory, right? Right. Remember that moment. I had a priest friend when I was a focus missionary who... uh, he would advise couples when he did marriage prep, he would advise couples that he was preparing for marriage to make the first step of marriage prep for him was get a notebook, go to Walgreens, buy a notebook and write out to in the most detail that you can recall the story of your meeting and falling in love with each other. And then he said to the couples, OK, take that notebook, tuck it away, put it someplace that you never forget about it, but just put it away. And then years from now, when you're married and you find yourself in turmoil and you're fighting and you come to that point that sometimes married couples get to of like, man, why did I ever marry you in the first place? Why did I head down this road? He's like, then pull out the notebook, reread the story and remind yourself, this is why I fell in love with this person. Oh, I've forgotten the story. Hmm. And he wanted to create for these married couples this little grounding rock to come back to and say, oh, yeah, right. 
I forgot that. And so you're playing this homily of John Paul II was actually kind of that for me today. And this, you know, sea of confusion of our world and all the turmoil and there's sex abuse stuff having, happening in the church in Denver and, and grand juries and, and, you know, all just a million things for and, us to navigate And weird through. German synods and weird, and weird a- Amazonian considerations. Right. And- but remembering, wait a second. That takes me back to the moment that it made sense. That's in a certain sense what Sirach is trying to do. Don't forget who is at the center of all this. There's so many voices. There's so many things telling you what it means to be wise. There's one thing that brings you wisdom, and that is the one true God of Israel. Right. And he has given you his Torah. Do not forget. That's what Sirach is doing. And so in kind of midway through this very long book, Sirach says, the Lord is a God of justice, the God who you are rooted in, the God who is the rock of your memory that I'm begging you not to forget lest you lose your way. He's a God of justice who knows no favorites. So you're not better than the rest of the Greek thinking world because you have this, but you are to be the root. You are to be the evangelist to tell the rest of the world what real wisdom actually is. Well, this is this is the thing is that as we were talking, Scott, earlier, it, it, I had a moment in my life where I was actually putting my surety and my confidence in the faith in another human being and not oh, yeah. merely in the person of God. Which is the danger of our faith because in so many ways our faith and evangelization, discipleship, it's the idea that our faith is ideally passed down through other people. We learn from teachers. But then it creates this possibility that then you put your faith in the teacher, in the person, in the discipler. But he knows no favorites. Right. We just, we have various missions within the church. And that's actually the key. Some people are given, in the case of John Paul II, Mm -hmm. St. John Paul II is such a gigantic mission that there's there's something that's beautiful. But and, And when he fulfilled it, it was absolutely inspiring, right? Yeah. And whereas, whereas like ne- you look into your own life and you go like, well, okay, I have a, I have a little mission. How does that get inspiring? And then you have to deal with Therese, who's slightly mm. precocious and, and, <laughs> and, and, and beautiful and, and, and quite sacred. Of leisure, yeah. to be clear. And, and like, this is the thing is it's like, there's some, it, it, she speaks of such a powerful little way. Now mm. it, it's it, the, the personality of it is, is particularly, um, sweet in its in its presentation even though it's backed by such profound suffering and so it's like i look in everybody who is pursuing a full mission in christ is marked by terrible suffering you look at john paul ii you look at saint Teresa of lisieux even though like you don't necessarily think of her as the, as the great sufferer right but everyone but she had very real suffering both physical and interior and even familial she had a family who struggled we think with mental health issues i mean right Real suffering that actually is applicable to so many of us and so, you know, the, the things that we deal with. Not not necessarily being burned at the stake like Joan of Arc or, you know, led to a cross like the apostles, but like real suffering in a very real way. And that's where Sirach just says, no, the Lord hears the cry of the oppressed yes. and the widow and the orphan and she and God hears the complaints and... And the one who serves God willingly is heard, and the petitions reads to heaven. So much so, the prayer of the lowly pierces the clouds. That it's just like saying, like when you're low and you're feeling it, like the Lord actually does receive that. Which is, in times of confusion and difficulty and struggle, the question is: is does God even see? Does He even know? Is there providence? Are we going to do this? Right. Right. Um, yeah. 
So he hears the cry of the oppressed, the not deaf to the wail of the orphan. The term there in Hebrew is the term sed acha, which shows up a number of times that the Lord hears the cry. Well, now we're reading the psalm, right? Right. That the Lord hears... It's it's this it's this also this call to trust that when the when you cry out to the Lord he really will hear you. In again this time of so many competing voices, who do you believe? Who do you turn to? Where do you put your trust? Because the God that we believe in doesn't give lightning strikes from heaven or big you know flashing signposts in the sky that says, "Yeah, no, it's cool. I hear you, Scott. I'm with you." Like there's there's the subtle whisper. This is Elijah's story, right? He doesn't speak in the earthquake or in the wind or in the you know the big storms. He speaks in the whispers, and so we're asked in the midst of a very noisy world that no, you need to trust. He is hearing you, yeah. despite all these things. Which is, I think it's I, I, there's so many associations I think with the world that Sirach is speaking into and our modern culture that it's it's absurd how how it's not absurd but there's so many overlaps there's so many parallels i think yeah what you just said was quite an aha moment ah i see yeah okay. which actually gets me it gets us through the psalm really no it does can i just point out i just and i don't have anything to say about it i just love the line the prayer of the lowly pierces the clouds yes there's something very evocative about that to me and i'm not even sure why as someone who sometimes struggles with fully believing and reconciling that my prayers are heard. Right. This idea, no, the prayers of the lowly, the humble. And that can be powerful people who humble themselves, as our gospel will show. But those kind of prayers, it it doesn't just reach God. It pierces the clouds. There is a power and an authority to the humility of prayer. Scott, you know what I'm realizing I need to do with you? Pray. That th- <laughs> Sorry. I need to take you to do some rocketry with me. <laughs> I, just, well, I love the way your brain works because like, that's yeah, of course. I'm like I'm like how do you how do you understand what piercing a cloud looks you like? You know, I did rockets with my dad when I was little. We used to shoot off rockets, and you did. Do you know where uh, Lowe's is in Louisville? Yeah. That was a big empty field. And we lived there before anybody else was there. And we would go into those empty fields by those little white. My dad always called them the missile silos. <laughs> and we would just shoot the snot out of the rockets. So you know what it looks like yeah, to pierce dude, the Yeah, I clouds. know rockets. Don't underestimate me here. I never underestimate you, yeah, um, for the most part. That's no, all right. But yes, <laughs> I would love to revisit that time in my life. Yeah, I, Estes. Estes. I always, had, I always had this movie idea in my mind where it would be a group of people, and what they would do is they would launch rockets and then on their scooters and bicycles would try to catch those rockets, but in urban environments. <laughs> and then that's intense and then, then how urban are we talking city and then what would happen is that one of them would have a, a camera on a rocket and then he would catch some sort of nefarious thing but Ooh. then they would see the rocket and then there was a whole game of chase a cat and mouse uh using their skills as rocketry retrievers to avoid the henchmen so this our um, really thought out movie yeah yeah I, I have that movie in my my, my mind you're not allowed to use it people they will. I have a copyright on it. Dude, that's not true. He doesn't have one. You guys just take it. <laughs> what are you? What, right. are, what are you discovering over there? Uh, well, I'm sorry. I, I know I seem distracted because I was. I have the psalm is very beautiful, and it's. I, I, many of us have heard this, and it's, it's sung di- for him directly. Um, yeah, you don't have your Bible in front of you. The, I do. The subs- do you do you have the little title that the Bible gives to Psalm 24? You know when the the psalms sometimes give little mini descriptions, yeah, like of David or of Solomon at his coronation or something like that. 
I didn't notice this before, but you got to read the one from Psalm 34. Okay. <laughs> oh, you know what? My, uh, my interlinear does not it. give it to me. <clears throat> this is a Psalm of David when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away, and then he left. <laughs> <laughs> and I've just been like, wait, what is that story again? When did he pretend to be insane? And it's this story in the midst of David's time fleeing from Saul. Remember when Saul, from much of David's life, even though he had been proclaimed the king by Samuel, um, Saul, who is on the throne, who is threatened by David, is chasing him through the wilderness, trying to kill him in all these different times. And there's this moment when it's in, in 1 Samuel chapter 21, where David, on the run from Saul, trying to save his life, um, Saul, big-headedly, David goes before this king named Ashish, who's the king of Gath and pretends to be insane so that he could have safe harbor there. <laughs> and the king's like, nah, get out of here, man. And and that's it's a, so it's a, weird. It's a totally different level of story. Like, that's a different narrative to talk about. <laughs> but I guess what I'm struck by in this is thinking about David, who is then to be known as the greatest king of Israel's history. He will be powerful. He will defeat everyone. He will settle Jerusalem as the capital. And even at this point in his story, in 1 Samuel, he knows that he is king. He knows that he is the one who will bear the crown and the throne. But he's on the run, and he's so desperate, and he's so afraid that he pretends to be insane because he's like, I don't know what else to do. This is a moment of great humility for David. And for David then as king and then later psalm writer to be thinking about, man, do you remember that time that I literally pretended to be insane in front of the king of Gath because I was so terrified for my life? I'm actually going to tell the world about that and put it in a song because I realize how small and pathetic that I am and how great and powerful God is and how he even pulled out the lowly, terrified, pretending to be insane David and raised him up in his glory to show not how great David is, but how great God is. And for some reason, that context, which I didn't look at prior to the coming in here today, has like changed the game. So when David says, the Lord hears the cry of the poor, he doesn't mean the impoverished. I mean, yes, he means those who are in poverty and those who are, you know, physically brought low. But he also means the would-be kings who are so desperate and terrified they pretend to be insane so that they can have safe harbor from their enemies. He's like, man, even that guy, the Lord can raise up. And look, I am a testimony. Most people would try to utterly forget and hide that story so that nobody would know that embarrassing moment in my life. But Dave's like, no, I'm going to highlight it because that actually shows how amazing God is and how I am not God. Look at how lowly I am. And my lowliness is there to show the grandeur of God. I don't know. I don't mean to take that too far, but that weird superscription on the psalm I think packs a punch. Well, it does. And it also kind of gives a little bit like, what is poverty? Yeah, exactly right. And like, not to under... Like, like, yeah. like we, we, there is real poverty. There's monetary financial poverty, which is real and important. But there's so many other kinds of poverty as well. Which is which is like, like if, if you've gotten to that point. I mean, I remember there was a guy in high school and his whole thing was is if you're going to get in a fight and you can't fight, he said, just go crazy. Just <laughs> literally... <laughs> That's what David does. Right. You just go as insane as you possibly can. And then they're like, this boy... My boy's crazy. I'm you just going to sw- spin around spinning my fist. And if you get in my way, then it's not my fault. Did your the, brother ever do that to you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Stop hitting yourself. It was, it was, <laughs> it was, <laughs> followed, the, that was the it worst. It was followed directly by that. But Neil <sighs> was actually like 
he was pretty good. He didn't make me hit my. It's hard to imagine Neil doing that to you, but I didn't know you as kids. So. Yeah. So we get into the Second Timothy, and this is Paul now demonstrating this in himself. Right. And that's why I actually I, I knew the psalm. I mean, it's cool. It talks about the cry of the poor. But I didn't realize, based on the context of Psalm 34, that it's about a once and will be in the future powerful, influential human being who is emphasizing his own lowliness, which is the setup for the second reading. That's where the second reading makes sense, because that's what Paul is describing. What's interesting is that the the church actually takes out the intervening verses, which talks about how he, um, specific things, like there was a metalsmith. This is one of the only mentions of a metalsmith in scriptures. You must love this. You must be sad that it was taken out. Well, no, except for, he says, except for that one metalsmith who caused me so many dang problems. (laughs) (laughs) But there's a part, I mean, it's it's logical and more efficient that it's taken out. But but it's also kind of sad because, and, and we've talked about this a little bit, Second Timothy, so it's one of the what's called the pastoral epistles. So First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus are written by Paul to specific pastors or bishops of churches that he will leave them with. But Second Timothy is a bit different because Second Timothy isn't just instruction on how to do it, like First Timothy and Titus. Second Timothy is the letter from Paul to his best friend Timothy on his deathbed with the last things that he is desperately trying to get out before he goes to his death. Right. He's like, this is what I want you to know. And so it's kind of beautiful in that light to, as he's recounting right. his life and what he's encountered. And, oh, there was that one guy, that metalsmith, stinking metalsmith. But there's something kind of beautiful <laughs> about he needs to get all of this stuff out before the end. But in that, I mean, this, this line, Paul, by the way, I mean, this is where this fits together with the rest. Paul, by his own admission or boasting, I don't know, call it whatever he will, makes a point to show that, look, I was before I came to Christ, I was the greatest teacher, rabbi, Pharisee, Benjaminite, persecutor of Christians, zealot. I was the greatest that there was. There was no one smarter or more articulate or better or more powerful than me. I was the best. He floated like a butterfly and sting like like a a bee. bee. And he's like, that's that's me. But now at the end of his life, now on the other side of that reality, what does he say? Beloved. And that's not plural beloved. It's singular beloved. Hey, best friend, buddy. Hey, my friend, Timothy, who I've given everything to. I've left my authority with. My beloved friend, Timothy. I'm being poured out like a libation, which the New American Bible kind of soften. It doesn't soften it, but it loses a little meaning. Literally in, in the Greek, it says, I'm being poured out like a drink offering, which is a specific sacrifice that would be offered in the temple. He's like, I am a liturgical sacrificial offering. That's actually how I view my life. I'm like the drink offering being poured out on the Old Testament temple. That's how my life is being poured onto Christ. And the time of my departure, my death, it's at hand. I have competed well. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. From now on, the crown of righteousness awaits me, which the Lord, the just judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearance. Can you imagine the grace of being able to speak those words on your own deathbed? Mm. To look back and be like, yeah, I can see my life as I'm about to face my own death. He's going to be killed. He's, He's in prison. He's facing his own murder not just he's not just dying of natural causes he's going forth to be poured out like the drink offering on the temple and he says in light of that yeah i've done it 
I know myself and he's known himself and expressed it. I know who I was. I know what I had. I know my authority and I know how I've poured it out and given it up and counted it all as scubala, as he says in the book of Philippians, poo-poo, for the sake of knowing Christ. And in that, I can look back and say, yes, I did it well. I competed. I finished the race. I kept the faith. Mm. And my life can be a witness, not in some sort of false pride, but in true, I mean, humility, the word humility means simply to know the truth about yourself. He says, look, the truth about myself is that I've done what I was asked to do. And now I can go forth from this world and say, yeah, I did it. And I can leave you with that, Timothy. And I can say it from the bottom of my heart to my best friend. Yes, I did what I was asked to do. Mm. And that's beautiful to me. And then he jumped, then he recounts his, you know, all the things that have happened. And then he kind of jumps ahead to, um, yeah, uh, what's going to happen? My first defense. Nobody appeared on my behalf. I, I was alone for a long time. I mean, I've been trying to do these things. People abandoned me. People stabbed me in the back. Everyone deserted me. But may it not be held against them. I mean, imagine, again, on your deathbed, recounting all of the people who have stabbed you in the back, all of the people who have wronged you, and begging God not to hold it against them. It's like Jesus going to the cross saying, Father, forgive them, for I do not, for they do not know what they do. That's Paul's version of that, Right. And the Lord, but the Lord stood by me. Even if they abandoned me, the Lord stood by me so that through me, the proclamation might be completed, that the Gentiles might hear it. And I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Him saying I was rescued from the lion's mouth is his version of saying the Lord heard the cry of the poor. I was the poor and I cried out my sedacha and the Lord heard me and rescued me and he will rescue me from every evil threat and bring me safe into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And now I go forward to my death. I mean, that, that, I'm so moved, again, the idea of being able to do that on your deathbed, to say those kind of words, that's the goal of every human life, to be able to look back and be like, yeah, I did what was that. I, I messed up a lot. I did all, I had all of these mistakes. Paul is very clear about the ways right. in which he was wrong and he killed wrongly and he persecuted the Christians. But now, since I realized that until now, yes, I can safely say I've done it. That's and some, I can go. Yeah, it sounds like you. Like me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't know me very you, well. You admit all of the things that you do wrong on the podcast. <laughs> this oh, oh, yes, it's my therapy. So then we go into the gospel. Then we go into the gospel. This is, so you know what's so funny about, okay, so I'm just going to say it, is Uh-oh. that there is so little subtlety to any of the readings today. That's, I think, maybe what's frustrating there, me about there's, them. There's not like a mysterious... No, like, they're like, just what can, they are. Yeah, it's it's like the Lord hears the cry of the poor. Hey, I was poor in these ways, but the Lord is going to hear me. And then, then hey, there's this poor guy in the back of church. And You've the Lord articulated hears my frustration with the readings know, in a way that I didn't realize. It's not mysterious today. Because then there's nothing for us to unpack because they're clear. The church has already unpacked them. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, like we can like repeat by, it. Like by putting them together. Right. <laughs> But, but, but huh. and, and in a certain way, I mean, it's really meant to do something. It's mm. it, I think all of these readings are to say, okay, because when you're struggling in poverty, okay, your own personal poverty. Yeah. I look at my look at my life, and I'm and and I'm not poor in material things. Uh, I my, I live a good life. I I, I don't worry about the the stuff that uh, to have clothes and and a car and yeah. stuff i I'm, many cars you have a fleet of cars <laughs> <laughs> i've got i've got a motorcycle and then a, and then a recreational vehicle and then a regular car and that snowplow four runner four wheel that's thing. not mine oh it's the churches that's the church yeah but you get to use it 
if I I haven't used it in years. But this is it, it's, oh, that's right, because that one time you did use it and you ruined everyone's lawns. I did. I, you like, did like the whole neighborhood. Oh, you guys, Father yeah, Peter was so excited about having this. I tried snowplow. To, yeah, and then I tried to snowplow everybody's lawns and I just I, and, and I there's sidewalks so and I ruined There's all their something lawns. so heartwarming to me about and that. And nobody like, complained you... to me, but they complained to each other. <laughs> They're, that uh, priest again, yeah. So big-haired priest. But I, but I look, and here's, here's, but isn't that the funny experience? It's here's what's a tax collector? The tax collector can make the bank. Well, that's why everyone hated tax collectors, right? Because so they took this, the taxes, but then they took extra for themselves, so they could become rich, right? And the Pharisees given all the stuff and living his religious life and proclaiming it. And here's the guy with all the cash in the back, and he can't even look up because he's yeah. like so wrecked inside of himself that he doesn't even know how to like, mm. it, 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 he's so inarticulate with God. Should we, let's just, just to, just to get us there. So Jesus said this parable, he says, there, he, he addressed this parable, That's this is important. Jesus addressed this parable to those who were convinced of their own righteousness, which is presumably the Pharisees, which is who were not, gathered around. Not our podcast listeners, so it's not no, addressed no. to you. Hopefully or Actually, not. it well, there's is. There's a lot of you. I don't know. We don't there's know. a lot of you out there. Um, who loved their own righteousness, convinced of their own, and despised everybody else. Everybody else who's not me, I hate. He Did, said, "Has that ever happened to you, by the way?" No. Dude, Two it, people. It, ha- it happened to me. When Wait, I was, what has what happened? Have I ever despised I, everybody else in my life? Yeah, and and been convinced of your ranch, own righteousness. It happened to me on the talk Camino. About I don't want to talk about it. It happened to me on the Camino, man. Oh, I, man. I was walking along, and I was like, I am, I am Uber Pilgrim. I was looking around, and I was like, <laughs> man, I'm doing this religiously. Hard. I'm stopping. I'm praying at every church that I can see, and I'm like going to daily mm. mass, even when it's difficult. And I was spending all my time, and I would do like two, three, three hours of prayer a day. Really? Yeah. Wow. And and I was like, I mean, I was doing it in a righteous way, and I was yeah. like, look at me, and mm. and. And the further, the more I did it, the less anybody would be around me. So I found myself more and more and more alone. Isolated. And mm. and like what ended up happening is that I went to in mm. um yeah at this Benedictine monastery they had confessions in English and I went to this priest and I was like I was like I hate everybody around me. <laughs> I was like, is that what you actually said? Yeah, yeah. I said I hate everybody because I said none of them are doing it in a religious way, and I, here oh, I am, and I'm about to be I ordained see. a deacon, and oh. I'm doing it all right, and oh. they're all doing it all wrong, and I got better gear than them, and I'm like, and I know it's wrong, <laughs> I but got like better gear than them, right? I, as I, and I just was, which I'm sure you did, I, knowing I, you. I did a lot of research, and yeah. I, I got good deals, but no it doubt. was like, but I was obsessed with it. Yeah. And he just looked at me and he said, he said, I've been on the, I've been hearing confessions on the Camino for years Mm. and years and years. He says, there's only two kinds of people. He said, there are those people who walk with God and know it like yourself. And then there's those people who God walks with them and they do not yet know it. Oh, and that even hurts me here. Yeah. Yeah. No, saying it. I wasn't there. He said it. And then, and then he gave me some penance. I don't remember. And I just, I went and I wept in the church because I realized that in like, it set the paradigm of my whole life is, is that I was convinced of my own righteousness. But the truth is, is that no, God is walking with everybody trying to draw them into his Mm. most beloved heart. And he's, he's like, God has oh. a plan for serious blood doping. What? Blood doping. What does that mean? You know what blood doping is? No, I obviously don't, or I wouldn't keep asking. What is <laughs> when bicyclists bicyclists take like? Oh, you mean doping, doping? Yeah, like uh, blood doping. 
Oh, I know what doping is. Yeah, I've what never is it? I've heard it called. It's taking drugs to make yourself more no. perform. I, I don't, just tell me. No, blood doping is where you take <sighs> I don't good, like this game. I like it when fresh, I do it to you. super oxygenized blood, and oh. then you give yourself transfusions no, before didn't. you race so that you got like super blood. I didn't. Yeah, I don't know that it's, concept. It's blood doping, and so is that I, what you did on the Camino? No, so you could walk faster. But I've been thinking that that's actually kind of what the Eucharistic life is: is when God, God, like gives us His blood in our blood, so that we actually pump with His very life essence. This is kind of weird. It's a, it's kind of a strange thing for it's those of weird, you who are but into, so is the Eucharist. Yeah, and so to be honest, so just look up Lance Armstrong. He got he got is that what he of, did? Yeah, he was I blood he doping. Did drug doping? No, it was blood doping. Blood doping. So yeah, you can figure it out. Sorry but then for he, my but it's because I cycle. I mean, you know that. That's yeah. why you're picking on me. Thanks, yeah. So man. go get the Eucharist, and you'll have be Jesus blood doping for and your then go, cycling. Do, go do a century red. <laughs> exactly. Um, okay, that's a great. What a man. See, this is why you're a good homilist. <laughs> I can do theology, but you do homilies because that that story embodies what we're talking about. Right. And then I can be like, oh, I get this on another level now because I know you, and I see that. I'm like, oh, yeah. Right. That's really good. So these two people, Jesus says, went up to the temple. One was a Pharisee, other a tax collector. The Pharisee took his position and spoke to this prayer to himself, probably loudly, saying, oh, God, thank you that I'm not like the rest of these people, right? I'm so much better. I'm not greedy. I'm not dishonest. I'm not adulterous. Or even like, <laughs> I don't know how far away the tax collector is in the story. He's like, thank goodness I'm not like that guy right there. <laughs> and the guy's like, oh, I fast twice a week. I pay tithes. Like, I do the stuff, right? And like you said, then the tax collector stood off at a distance. He couldn't even raise his eyes. He's inarticulate, right? But he beat his breast and he prayed, Oh, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, the latter one whom justify, but not the former. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. But you're right. I mean, we, we can't deny the reality that presumably the tax collector had committed some pretty profound sins. Right. He had ripped people off. He could have ruined people's lives, stolen money that would have paid for food to feed your children, like real gravity sin, like real gravity heavy in- stuff. inducing hoo-ha. <laughs> right, that's exactly it. <laughs> that's a, that's, and, a, that's a technical way to say it. And the, ta- and the Pharisee may have literally been doing all of these things consistently and faithfully for his entire life. There is the reality of the actual what they have done. But then there's the interior disposition. Right. And that's not to negate what is happening on the outside. Those things actually are important. It's not only, you know, it's it's... I was I was just talking to somebody about how, you know, well, you know, we should give to the poor and we should we should give charitably to help people, but we have to have the right dispositions in our hearts. And that's true, but even if you have the wrong disposition, it's never a bad thing to feed somebody who's hungry. You know what I mean? Right. Like we can wait around all day to have the right disposition and people will still suffer. So there's still the reality of what happens outside of us, what we do. But God, as First Samuel says, we were in First Samuel with David, right? First Samuel starts by saying, "God, man looks at the outward appearance; God looks at the heart," which and the, he knows the reality. So the first line, so the first half of the line for Sirach, um, so we okay. say the Lord is just judge, and his yeah. there is no partiality. Yeah. The ha- half a line before that says, "Do not offer him a bribe, for he will not accept it, and do not trust to an unrighteous sacrifice." So it's oh. ha- so I oh wish my. they would have given us a half a line more, which because- makes Paul's talk about his own life as sacrifice make a whole. Hope. And it's 
Come on, man. It's not a bribe. Let us do this. Right. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, this is the thing is it's wow. not a, it's not a bribe. And this is the thing. Because that's how the Pharisee is thinking about it. Right. He's not saying that, but he's thinking about it. It's like the older son in the in the prodigal son story. Right. It's almost like if I do enough, well then you give me the stuff. Right. If I bribe you with this. Wow. Which which is so different, which is why hmm. like my, the deepest convictions come in my priesthood when hmm. I'm realizing that that we 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 have an analogy we call it phoning it in. Yeah, we we use that phrase. <laughs> Said that like three times this morning to each other. Yeah. So this is the thing is it's like the, the, it's it's a, that's a kind of a metaphor where you say I'm doing it, but yeah. I'm not. My spirit's not actually yeah. alive and in this. Which again, I'm not trying to take this the wrong direction, but there's there's uh, there can be something actually good to that. Because right. you can wake Fake up on a Sunday and be like, it. I don't want to go to Mass. Well, you should go anyway. Like, it, it doesn't matter if you want to. Like, there is a certain point in mature spiritual life where you do it anyway. Right. But. But the spirit is, I'm going to do this so that I can do what I want. Yes. That's the sick. difference. That's the difference. It's sick and yeah. it's twisted. Yeah. And, and, and Or I'm simply going to do it to show how much better I am than everybody else. Right. That's also sick, Dude, quite frankly. I'll tell you, I, I unfortunately have prayed like the Pharisee where I'm like, man, I'm glad I'm not like that person. Yeah. I'm like, cause that person's a tool. Yeah. And then you go and then you like look in your heart and, and it was like, oh, like it's, it, it's just so easy to fall into that moment of, of the, the better than, but the, the, like, this is what I think is, is, is that um, when I'm in a spirit of, of the, my passions, then I'm in a spirit of competition. And so what happens is I want more. Mm. Um, and versus the spirit of the Lord, which says, what, 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 what am I supposed to do? What Lord, what would, what do you wow. want from me? How may I sacrifice mm. versus I want more. And like, here he is. And he's like, I want more. I'll, I, if I had more money, I'll give more money. And, but it's out of the weird wrong ends and ends really determine the means. Well, what is the Lord here? According to the Psalm, what is the Lord here? He hears the cry of the poor, right? So how does a rich person, a powerful person, actually have a cry that is poor? Well, it's to realize that even in your financial stability or your power, whatever it is, to actually see the truth of yourself and realize your smallness, my humility. Then he will hear even the cry of the rich if those cries are from your poverty. Because the rich can be poor. Because it's sim- this is humility again, right? It's recognizing the reality of myself. This tax collector is probably financially very wealthy because he ripped off a bunch of people. But he's crying out of his poverty. Now, it also requires a change. I mean, he can't simply do that forever and be like, oh, I stink, I'm the worst, and then keep ripping people off. Like, Unless there actually is conversion, there's no sign that we're actually changing. Um, But the only way you can really cry out from our poverty is to recognize that we need to change. We need to do something other than what we're doing. You said this line about, um, what did you say? You're like thinking about that other person being a tool or something. You yeah. use the word tool. And I was just thinking to myself as you said that, well, the most challenging thing is when the other person really is a tool. And we still have to pray out of our humility toward them. You know right. what I mean? Right. That's where the challenge, I mean, because it's really easy to read a story like this one that Jesus gives and be like, oh, well, the tax collector is actually super duper holy inside and the Pharisee is not. Well, what if the tax collector is actually not holy interiorly? We still have to have the proper disposition of our own lowliness in front of them and in front of God. You know what I mean? Yes. It's it, it's this, this kind of myth of the um, person. I, 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 the, the, 
yeah, you can you can read the story in almost this kind of fairy tale way of like, oh, but he's really really super holy, and maybe he is. But again, that's great. And yes, we should mm. have deference, but be- before the holy person, but can we actually have deference and reverence before the person who's not, before the other person on the Camino with you who really doesn't have a clue what they're doing and is doing it for selfish purposes? Well, dude, to recognize, no, God actually is with that person too. Because this is the thing. Maybe even more so. After that, I had a total conversion of heart. And I ended up meeting all these non-believers and all they wanted to do was hear about grace. I got to witness every day, all the time, unendingly, because the, the Lord actually disposed me and he opened up my spirit to actually love the people in front of me and not be a pharisaical punk. Right. And, and, and that's, this is the thing though, is that if, if you're trying to give a bribe to God, you know what that says about God is that he's an unjust He's a tax collector. You're saying to God, if you're trying to bribe him, he's a tax collector. You are saying to God that he is a tax collector. Ooh, that's who a will big accept inversion. a bribe, and that will work. Wow, that's the Ooh, inversion that's, flip. That's it. Whoa. And how often do we treat God as though he's a tax collector? I will do my due diligence, and if I give him a little off the top, if I give him a little extra, maybe I'll get some more points. We think, yeah. Mm. The, the Pharisee is treating God like a tax collector. And the, God- the tax collector is treating God like God. Mm. Right? Is that yeah. right? At least in the story. Yeah, I don't even know what else to say because I'm I, I really just gotta hang out with that to ask who are who do I believe that you are, Father? Are you a good father who's providential and is gonna actually give me what I need and not uh, give me a scorpion for an egg, you know? Or it's always such a weird analogy. I think that I need to go listen to the Scorpions. Is that a band? Yeah, come Is on. that some obscure band that you're just it's showing off obscure. that you know about that I don't? Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what I'm trying to do. I'm going to go listen to the eggs. <laughs> oh, you don't know the eggs? <laughs> oh, man, I can't believe you've never heard of them. Wow. <laughs> I, think, I think Scorpions did Rock Me Like a Hurricane. Oh. Rock you like a hurricane. Egg, egg. All right, you guys. That's all we got. Dude. All right. Well, say goodbye to Humpty Dumpty, everybody. Oh, I get it. The egg. Because you're the egg. Me? Yeah. yeah. Do I have egg on my face? Is that what's going on? Oh, my gosh. We'll see you next week, everybody. Okay. God bless you. Bye-bye. The Word on the Hill podcast is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.thomascenter.org slash A-I-C-T. And you can find the Lanky Guys podcast at lankyguys.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we will be back next time.